I've entitled it, I Want to Want to. Um, I, I dare say that many of us fall into that category. We have found ourselves at times in our life wanting to want to do the will of the Lord. You know, we, we may know that it's what we're supposed to do, but then we sit back and we go, I, I just don't, I don't want to. You know, I'm tired, I, I've got this I could do, or I, I don't like to do that. And so we oftentimes find ourselves not doing things that we should do. We know we should do it, but we don't really, truthfully, we don't, we don't want to. I dare say that in a congregation of this size, there may be some folks here this morning, you're here because you know you're supposed to be. It's something you're supposed to do. You know you need to do it. You want to go to heaven, but you don't have that want to about coming to services. It's not something, it's something that you make yourself do, but it's not something that you want to do. And folks, that's, that's not a good way to live, is it? That, that can get a little burdensome and, and wearisome after a while. I, an ideal life would be to be able to want all the things that God expects. You know, if, if your life as a child, if, if you're a young person, if your life, if the expectations that were put on you were to eat pizza and play, great life. Everything I'm expected to do, I want to do already. Now that's where joy and happiness come in, when your expectations are your wants. But then, you know, as, that's just not the way life works. Sometimes our expectations are things that we don't want to do. And so we find ourselves in this dilemma, and sometimes we win the battle, and sometimes we lose the battle. But how do I get myself to want... To want to. Well, that's what I'd like for us to look at. Well, to begin with, let me just say this. Jesus was someone who always wanted to do the will of his Father. In John chapter 8 and verse 28 and verse 29, in that passage, Jesus, at the end of that passage, he says, I always do the things that please the Lord. He always did those things that were pleasing to the Lord. There was never a moment in his life where he did something wrong because that's not what he wanted to do. I don't want to do this, Lord, and so I'm not going to do it. He always did the right thing because that was his desire. And so God's expectations and his desires just kind of meshed together. And it was never, you know, he, he did it. And then you look at John chapter 14 and verse 9 and Jesus again says, listen, if you've seen me, you've been around me long enough to know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus also said that it is food for me to do the Father's will. I mean, it was sustenance. That's what he lived for and lived on just to, to do everything that the Father asked of him to do. But we're not Jesus, are we? I mean, with Jesus, he always wanted to do the right thing. But we're not Jesus. we got a lot of growth. We're still immature and we haven't developed ourselves to that extent. And maybe we haven't ex- developed ourselves to the extent of David in the Old Testament. For in Psalm 40 and verse 8, David said, 
I delight to do your will, O God, and I keep your word in my heart. David said, I delight to do your will. That's where I want to be. I want to I delight in doing the will of God. I don't want to have to force myself to do it. I, I want to have pleasure in doing what God asked me to do. And so how do I get there? Because I'm not always there. There are times in my life that I don't always want to do what's right. Sometimes I want to do what's wrong. And the expectations, the obligations, the Christian responsibilities that I have to Jesus, and in fact to this church, I don't always want to do. So how do I get that developed? Well, I want to share with you about four or five principles this morning that will help us. If we put them in practice, it'll help to develop that want. Uh, if you find yourself at this point in your life right now where you're, you're doing the right things, but you're doing it because you're, it's because you're making yourself and you have enough about you that you're, you're forcing yourself to do some of those things, um, I'm glad that you have that in you, that you know this is what I need to do. But oh, I would rather you, and I know you would too, I know you'd rather enjoy doing what you're supposed to do. So how do I develop that enjoyment? Well, number one, how about this? <clears throat> I think it'd help us to, to want to do right if we would um, develop a greater sense of our indebtedness to God. When we live outside of that vision of what God has done for me and how much I owe him, then the commandments get a little more difficult but when I'm constantly reminded of what Jesus did for me, then how in the world could I say no? I mean, yes, Lord, yes, I will. You know, that, that's the response when you live in the shadow of the cross. But when you get away from the cross and you forget about Jesus, then, then yeah, I don't know if I have time for that. In your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and look at what Paul reminds us of in verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. What that basically is saying is, you know what, Jesus at one time existed in heaven, had everything. He was in heaven, had it all. But he gave all that up and he became a man and he suffered in poverty for a period of time on this earth so that we who are in poverty could have riches, could have the home in heaven. How much, how much gratitude should you have toward one who gave his life to save your soul? How much gratitude should you have when you consider the alternative of heaven and realize that you sold out to that place for eternity but you don't have to go there now because Jesus has redeemed you. You know, we can feel a sense of indebtedness to people around us um, that make serving them a joy and a pleasure. And man, we would get up at a moment's notice and help them. When, when Kim and I first got married, we moved to uh, West Virginia and there was a, an older couple there in that congregation, uh, Bo and Winona Hammonds. They're both now deceased. 
But when we moved there, they just kind of threw their arms around us, took us in, and just treated us like we were their grandkids. And um, they did everything for us. We were, we were newlyweds and not, you know, we, we had a lot to learn about life. And, and uh, they were always there with good advice and help. And, and if anything went wrong, Bo was there to, to fix this or that. And uh, they always had that... Listen, if there was ever anything that they needed, boy, I would have responded to that in heartbeats. And I would have wanted to. When Bo got cancer and Winona was worn out uh, sitting up with him at, at night and needing someone to sit up all night long with him, um, that wasn't a hard thing for me to do. I wanted to do that. Now, on any other normal circumstance, I don't want to stay up all night. I want to go to bed. I want to get a night's sleep. And I don't want to sit up in a hospital chair all night long. But I wanted to because it was Bo and Winona. And you see, that's, that's what made all the difference. I was indebted to that couple. Uh, they had shown love to, toward us. And, and that sense of indebtedness caused me to want to do what I typically would not have wanted to do. I'm just saying that example, just in a small way, should cause us to think about what did Jesus do for you? Do we think about that? If you're struggling with wanting to do the right thing, then maybe you need to spend more time remembering how much Jesus has done for you. And how indebted we are to Him. And when we think of that, how hard is it then to do the, 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 to render the, the acts of service and kindness and to go that extra mile with people here on this earth? That becomes much, much easier. I'm not saying that we'll master it overnight, but it certainly becomes much, much easier when I realize how indebted I am to God. A second thing that I think will help us to want to do the right thing is if we just love God more. How do we love God more? Well, you got to get to know Him. That's how you love anybody more. Um, there was a time when you met somebody and you might have been impressed. It might be your first meeting and there was a little thing there. You I kind of like that person. And then you, you spend a little more time with them and you get to know them a little bit better. And as time goes on, your relationship grows. It deepens. It develops. And the more you got to know a person or the more you get to know a person, the more you fall in love with that person. That's the way it works. You don't just wake up one day and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to get married today because I, I met a person on the street. You know, that, that's not the way it works. I, I passed a person in the mall, and we're going to get married. You, you develop a relationship, and once you get to know them, that's how love grows. And folks, if you want to want to do the will of God, if you're sitting there saying, man, I wish I wanted this. I, I know I should, but I just don't want it like I should. If you want to do the, the right thing and to serve God, get to know Him. Because the more you know Him, the greater your love will be. The deeper your love will grow. How can you love someone you don't even know? 
You see, and I think that's how some people operate. They don't really know God. Their knowledge of Him is superficial. It's about like you'd pass somebody in the mall and just see and be attracted to a, to a quality or two, and, and then that's it. You know, with Jesus, you, you have to get to know Him, to love Him. And the only way that you'll know Jesus is through His Word. We come to faith and to knowledge of God through the revelation. And if, folks, if you want to do what's right, you're going to have to pick up this book and learn more about Jesus. And, you know, I, I used this last week at Becton. I, I mentioned it this morning in our Bible class. But that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You know, when I was in first grade kindergarten, there was a girl that I was in love with. She was beautiful. And don't talk to me about any other girl at that time because I, I, this girl was the girl I was interested in. Everybody else paled in comparison to her. And that's the way it should be with our relationship with Jesus. The more you fall in love with Jesus the less attractive the things of this world will become. Look full in His face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Fall in love with God more than you have in the past. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. It's hard not to like somebody that likes you, isn't it? When somebody really likes you and loves you, it's hard not to like them back or at least have a special place. Do you remember when you were a little child, uh, maybe in in grade school or or fifth or fourth grade or something, and you got one of these letters, do you like me, circle yes or no? You know, it's been passed halfway across the, the, the classroom to you. Whether you like that person or not, it was kind of neat knowing that somebody liked you. You know, it's good to know that somebody, God loves you. And that's one of the reasons we love Him in return. By the ways that He showed His love for us. And then number three. How about this? Allow the Word of God to be written in your heart. Once you start picking up this book and reading about God, well then put it, let it sink in. Don't just read hurriedly and say, well, I got my chapter in. Let the Word of God dwell in your heart. And it will make all the difference in the world. Folks, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 that the law of Christ contrasted to the law of Moses. The difference, one of the differences was that that old law was written and engraven in stone, but the new law would be written in our hearts. And that's exactly what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 8, going through verse 10. As he quotes Jeremiah 31... He says this new law is going to be written not on stone, but it will be written in our hearts. And I'll tell you how that makes a difference. And I don't know of any other illustration to, to help, but if you've ever driven down the road or in your neighborhood or in front of a school when those lights are flashing and the speed limit's 25 and you've got some place to go and it just seems like you can almost walk faster than you're driving. That can be frustrating and you can maybe want to look around and see if there's any police and, and just kind of 
hedge a little and, and go faster than you're supposed to. You know what the law says, but you don't like it. You don't want to do it. You have other things in your mind. But let a child dart out between a car someday when you're trying to speed just a little and you slam on the brakes and it takes everything within you to get that car stopped before you run over that child. And you'll see that speed limit law differently from that day forward. When you saw the reason for the law and when it becomes written on your heart, It doesn't take a sign or a policeman sitting on top of the hill to make you slow down. You know the reason why you need to slow down. Because it's on your heart now. It's not just on that sign. And folks, that's that's what we're talking about. That's what God is talking about, trying to get across to us when he wrote that I don't want the book and these laws to just be written on stone. You know, we see that and we look for loopholes and we look for ways around it. And we see how we can get by without doing what it says. I want my law to be written on your heart. I want you to understand why I've said don't do this and don't do that. And I want you to understand why I said I want you to do this and I want you to do that. There's purpose. And when we understand God's purpose, it's a matter of wanting to. I understand where you're coming from, Lord. Listen, when, when, you see, when you see what happens when you disregard God's laws, whether, well, take substance abuse. When you see what happens to a person who has, has abused some substance, chemical substance, uh, drugs, alcohol, whatever, and you see what that does to their life, I, I don't want any part of that. Do you see how it's affected their kids, their wife, their husband? Do you see how it's broken the hearts of those children? Do you see how it's destroyed their family? They've lost their job. They've, they've hurt everybody around them. You know, when you see what God... It's not just don't be filled with wine wherein is excess. It's not just a mile marker posted for you. It's written on your heart. Yeah, I wouldn't want that. I see where that leads. If you want to do the will of God, put the law in your heart. Understand that there's purpose behind what God has told us to do and the commandments are not arbitrary. And 1 John 5 and verse 3, they are not grievous. God didn't give it to us to be a killjoy and to just watch us squirm under the oppression of the law. What He gave us is good for us and will spare us broken hearts and broken lives. And then how about this? If you want to want to do what's right, give yourself to God. You're going to have to surrender your own life. Uh, You can't say, well, yeah, I want God to have control of my life, but I'm not going to let go of the steering wheel. I'm going to keep my hand. When I was... uh, I don't know how they do it here. If they, well, I don't even know if they have driver's ed in the school systems anymore. Maybe they do in Barron County. I don't know. But um, when, when I was growing up, when we had this car that had two steering wheels. And the driver's ed teacher, Bobby, did you ever have one of those? Two steering wheels. Um, the the, the uh, child, teenager, would you know, be driving. 
But there was always this override where the teacher could grab a hold of that wheel and jerk it out of his hands or whatever, you know, and, and steer us safely. We, we don't want to let go sometimes. Yeah, I wish I could be just, I wish I could want to do all the things that God wants me to do, but I don't, I don't want to give up all my privileges and all my rights. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to take up a cross. And sometimes I don't want to follow him. If you want to want, you're going to have to surrender yourself. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. You've got to give yourself up. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. But get this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul said, folks, if you will give yourself wholly to God, you will be a changed person. There will become a transformation in your life and you will demonstrate and live out and prove that what God has asked you to do is good and holy and right. But we'll never get there if we never give ourselves up. The the transformation of your mind will never take place if you keep a hold of the steering wheel. You've got to sacrifice yourself to God. And until you let go, you you can't walk with one foot in the world and one foot in the church and think that you're going to find this want to. You have to let go and give God control of your life. And then the transformation can begin. And you'll see. That what he's asked you is good and it's perfect. It's what you ought to be doing. Some of the most miserable people in the world are those who have too much Jesus in their life to enjoy their sin. Because they feel guilty when they sin. But they also have too much sin in their life to enjoy Jesus. And so they're out there in limbo and they can't enjoy anything. They can't enjoy their life in Christ and they can't enjoy their life of sin. Give up one or the other. Quit trying to walk with one foot in the world and one foot in the church or one foot in the kingdom. Join forces with the devil or join forces with Christ if you want any kind of peace of mind. And then finally, well, how about this? Pray. When's the last time you asked God to help you to want to do what is right? In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, the Bible says... That Jesus, God, is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Have you asked God, Lord, please create within me a desire to do your will. Help me not to just have to force myself to do what... Help me to want to do those things that are my obligations. Create within me that desire, Lord. Pray that to God. Do you think God can't answer a prayer like that? When Ephesians tells us, or Paul tells us in Ephesians, that he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask or can even think about. He can take something like that and work with it. In fact, what did the psalmist pray in Psalm 51? As David has sinned grievously against God, he says in Psalm 51 and verse 10, Lord, Create in me a clean heart. That's what he's asking. 
God, create in me a clean heart. Help me to want to do, change my way, change my heart, change the way I think. And help me to to seek to do your will. Well, I hope that maybe some of the things that we've talked about, I think I gave you five there, will help you to want to do what God wants you to do. It's a terrible thing to go through life saying, I know I need to do this, but I don't really want to. And the thing about that is eventually if that's where you are, you're going to lose that battle way more than than you want to. Sometimes you'll win out and you'll force yourself, but when push comes to shove, sometimes you're just going to say, "Ah, let somebody else take care of it. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. The ideal life for a Christian is to want to do what God asks us to do. If you're not there yet, then implement some of these things. I believe they'll help you. Maybe you're here today, this morning, and you're sitting there thinking, I want to do better. I want to want to do better. But right now I'm not there. Well, I know you can implement one of those things here in just a moment. You could come and the church can pray on your behalf that you be stronger, that you can want to do the things that God wants you to do. Uh, You have 400 people here that are on your side who are willing to pray for you. If you need to respond, um, we would ask you to do that and we'll pray for you. If you're a child of God or uh, aren't a child of God yet, obey Him. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, we'll assist you in that this morning. If you need to come, won't you come as we stand together and sing?